Hello, universe. Um, I know for a fact I've never signed on to record in the mood that I'm currently in. Um, because this mood has maybe never... Has it come around in my life before once? Maybe once. But... Or twice even. But in different context, if I'm going to go to twice. Because today, I have been looking forward to a conversation with someone who... Uh, not that it's overdue. It's not. As a matter of fact, it's due today. But it's been a bit in the making. In fact, I'd say over a month of consideration led to a decision probably two or three weeks ago that I have been since embracing and uh, preparing for in whatever way that was possible. Because however today goes, most of getting ready to have this conversation had to do with pulling my shit together. <clears throat> and, uh, and coming to terms with an entire thread of future existence that I have been hmm, um, aligned with or um, boy, what would you call that? Um, enchanted by? Since I was a kid. I'll put it to you this way. I have, since I was very young, some of my very earliest formative memories involve believing that I was going to, late in life, like at the end of my life is the way I thought of it as a kid, um, meet somebody with three, a blonde woman with three boys, and that was my future, was with her together. And I've even had a dream about this recently, meaning within the last year, where I was again being counseled in a completely foreign environment about my future with a blonde woman that has three boys. So, and whenever I have these dreams, I'm always myself as a boy. So it's, and I've had these dreams a lot, especially when I was a kid. This was by far my most, my first real thread. Well, maybe the shark dreams were between this and the shark dreams. These are the earliest dreams I had that were continuous, that had a continuity to them. And this one stood out by far. It's been there my whole life. To the point I sort of have kind of believed this my whole life. And, uh, and what do you know? But I run into, last year, a woman who is roughly my age, who has two sons. <clears throat> and uh, and I, I fell for this person in many ways, but the idea that this prophecy was that close was fucking crazy. Uh, in my head, at least. And this is the first time I'm even speaking about this outside my head. I'm pretty sure. I may have told one other person about this. But it is wild that something I anticipated was going to happen came so close to happening but didn't. And, uh, and in some ways, I think I was deluded the entire time because of that, hmm, that fantasy, if you will, I'd built up in my head from my youth. So, as this circumstance, this narrow miss, dissolved, I, I mean, I was devastated because I had built into it things that were just 
a lifetime of consideration occurring. And it took me a month of sorrow, to be honest, to figure out that I had fucked the whole thing up. Like, I'd come at it from... I'd missed out on an opportunity with a really great person. And I don't even say it's a romantic opportunity. I'm just saying, how many great people come into your life? In my life, it's about one every other year. Maybe one every three years. And if you miss your chance to engage with them when they're there, boy, you can go on a drought of great people for a decade, which will change your perspective. So... Today I'm going back to this great person and saying I'm sorry for all the <laughs> the muck I pulled you into. But when you severed our connection and sent me, <clears throat> frankly, reeling into my own wallowing pity, while pulling myself up out of that is what stand-up comedy was doing and is doing. I mean, let's be honest, I'm overcome my wallowing pity when it comes to the other sex. But what's funny is in the open mic scene, there are two open mics that I knew I was going to go to. And I wasn't even sure which one I was going to do first because they're basically the same distance from my house. One's east, one's west. And I ended up doing the one with the video games, the pinball machines, and the uh, N64 consoles at the table because it was video games. And the other place does stand-up on Tuesday and karaoke on Wednesday, and I hate karaoke. So I knew I wasn't going to be hanging out there, whereas I could see myself hanging out at the pinball bar just to play pinball. That was literally my final decision as to which bar to do first. So when I <clears throat> got to my second open mic at the place on the east side, or the west side, um, the guy hosting the open mic over there uh, his name is Cameron, I'm pretty sure. Ooh, it's been a while since I've seen him, so if I'm getting his name wrong, I apologize. But he uh, he was very um, welcoming. I, was, I, I thought I might have fucked up because my first night was filled with local borderline to uh, making a living as professional comedians. Some of the better. And a couple of those performances that night were from the attack dogs who go on stage and attack each other with put-downs. So they were harsh as fuck to each other. To the point, I thought, that's not funny, that's just mean. Of course, I'm being about the most naive I can possibly be in a comedic open mic night. So when I go to this other place the next week, it's so welcoming that I think, oh, what a wonderful place to come. I can't wait for my next round here because I really thought I nailed it even my first night there and my second night especially. I haven't probably liked my performances as much since, but there's a reason for that. So the next week, I go back to the hardcore place. The first night I get on stage, I don't even remember what I said. It's so surreal to me still to this day that I can't put it together, though I can see the images of that night. The second night, I go up there with material, and my whole point is to just stick to my material. And I say my first joke, and I get one kind of laugh in the back of the room, but not much. And I'm not used to yet how much silence there is at an open mic night from all the other comedians. This is new to me. And then my next joke lands, but it lands in a way that I didn't intend it to, which sends me off script. And then I start telling a story about my only uh, pseudo, and not even pseudo, quasi. How about... Um, uh, borderline, but still heterosexual gay experience. And all of this is a story I would never think I would be telling. I don't think I've even told, oh, I've probably told it on this recording at some point. But it's just, it's vulgar. And I'm going there because I know vulgar will get a reaction. I'm already appealing to the group with my actions on stage. Because once you're on stage, you start panicking. Especially if the reactions are coming at you in a way that are unexpected. This is what you have to learn to have any sense of stage presence in the moment, which since then I have. You don't listen to the, to, the reaction is irrelevant. You present. And if you present something that is sequential, you are building on something that you don't even expect to cash in until you've built the entire hill. So it's 
a lot easier to be on stage now. But I still get all gummed up when something unexpected happens. So when I go back to the to the place that uh, that I tell the gay, almost gay story, um, I feel like I'm glad that the next open mic is going to be at this place where I felt so much more comfortable. So I go to the to the uh, West Side Bar on Thursday nights or Tuesday nights, sorry, and. What do I know? But I walk in and the hostess or the host is not there. Somebody else is doing the ho- or the MC, and she's pretty smoking hot. <laughs> like this is new. This is unexpected. Uh, where's the dude who is so welcoming? And frankly, I felt funnier then. So I was comfortable because I'm like, well, if he's MC, then you know I may not be able to nail it here, but I can be funnier than him. Um, all of a sudden I realize, oh wait, last week was a guest host. You're the host. S. Whoa. Nice to meet you. I'm John. So I go up that night and, uh, basically change my material to all hot girl material because the hot girl hostess has me mesmerized. And it's, uh, it's an unexpected reaction, to say the least. Because I haven't been out in public and had my tongue unrolled in a long time. <laughs> a lot. I can't remember the last time. I mean, I can remember a couple times before, but they're a long time ago. My point is, even afterward, when, and then I went up and said, thank you, uh, you know, I will be back. And uh, hopefully, uh, and, I, and I wasn't very good that night at all, at all. And, uh, and I, riding the whole way home, blamed every, everything but my own mindset flip-flop when I went from nice guy Cam to hot girl Christine. And hot girl Christine's been there every week since. Well, no, she's actually had one other week where she wasn't there, that I've been there. And she's very funny and, um, and has all kinds of, uh, of um, relatable uh, uh, traits and, and ways about her. She's a very cool person. So when, uh, when I got a chance to have lunch with her and get to know her a little bit better, um, you know, to find out she's a blonde woman with three boys... Well, yeah. Pause. Oh, and did I mention she's single, Boz? Oh, universe. Thanks a lot. I uh, obviously failed to make contact uh, with my intended... um, My intended... Friend, old friend, soulmate, what do you want to call? Somebody who you know destiny needs you to be in touch with, but also in some capacity removed from. Because the journey is yours to take with their support. Who is that person? Your cheerleader? Yeah! Failed to make contact with my cheerleader. I'm sure she'll enjoy me calling her that, but... At some point, aren't we all everybody's cheerleader? I would root you on to a goal of yours, no matter who you are or what goal you're trying to achieve. If it was the point of your personal manifestation on 8675309 Earth, well, I'd be insane not to. The most rewarding experiences you can have that are outside yourself are to see somebody else fulfilling their purposeful life and destiny. So, you want to invite me to the occasion, and all I have to do is bring my enthusiasm? Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll buy a ticket. I mean, as long as they're under 10 bucks, because I don't have a lot of money. Pause. Well, for a guy who wanted to only buy a $10 ticket to the show, you sure smoke a lot of weed. Yeah. Why do you think I don't want to spend more than 10 bucks on a ticket? Which means, of course... 
that I price myself out of pretty much every entertainment option out there, uh, other than, say, the minorest of minor league sporting events or community high school theater. Hell, those tickets are probably 15 anymore. Um, if it's not free, I'm basically not all that interested. If there's a token gesture of three to five bucks for whatever effort went into producing something, okay, sure. But, uh, along with the belief that there is no such thing as intellectual property, um, comes the idea that charging more than just cover the cost of the event fees for any performance or creative output to the world, well, what are you doing? The, the, the world of capitalism ruins the spark of creation because everything has to come with a return. The very act of creating is the return. And I know that's, to most people, just the naive vision of a of a pampered artist. And maybe they're right. Maybe the real world is about fighting for what you need and taking and guarding what's yours and keeping track of those who will rail against so that at no time can you be caught off guard with all this protective garrisoning of resources you're undertaking. Or whatever other version of life you think is better than free to be you and me. But I figure you don't get the chance to emerge as me if society isn't capable of providing the pampered, privileged, hmm, go at my own pace upbringing that I was fortunate enough to walk into. I know it. I know what gifts the world gave me, or at least I know a large portion of them. The ones that I take for granted, I apologize to the universe for not realizing enough to see them as well. But feeling like 95% of my life is about privilege in a society set up to force those less privileged than I to bear the brunt, the suffering, the misery, the misfortune, the angst. Yeah. <clears throat> but if you're as empathic as I am, I think you don't endure unless you know there's a world in which a harmonic resonance above what we're experiencing can exist. My vision of our underachievement could all flip-flop tonight if tomorrow we woke up saying, instead of discouraging each other, we were going to encourage each other. If discourage was a word we no longer understood because there is no such concept other than to encourage, well, those are the worlds I come from. Those are the ones I want to go back to. And unfortunately, that's what this naive little sensitive, tender piece of Kleenex is about. Never do I feel like I want to cause anyone a bad day. And I worry that just <clears throat> ambushing somebody at work, even though they're a coworker, with a conversation that is on my terms, though of course a participatory conversation I am encouraging. All of that said, I understand that I am forcing my need for resolution on another in a way that perhaps is wrong. 
I don't know that it's not karmic pause button material that she wasn't there when I expected she would be. Now, it's not like I go reading her schedule, but I do know that on Sundays there are only two shifts. There's the opens and the mids and the closers, but the closers are already set. So I figured if I showed up when the openers are leaving and the mids are uh, there and the, even the closers had shown up, well, it'd be hard to miss her. But miss her I did. Which makes me think, okay, that was the plan that shouldn't fail. It failed. So that means that's not the plan. That should not be the method of contact. Which means that I'm left with either leaving her a message, because I doubt she will take my call, or sending her a text message, which is the last thing I want to do. So call her and leave a message asking for a return phone call is the best I got. Of course, if she picks up, then I got to be ready to talk to her, which I am. And face-to-face would obviously be better, so maybe that'd be the first question to ask, but expecting nothing other than, well, what do you want to talk about as a response? It doesn't make much sense to pause a conversation to have it later. So over the phone, it will be, and that's fine. At that distance, I think some implied sense of civility uh, can be expected, and thus maybe a freer conversation can take place. Right? Who knows? But lob that little call, I will, after closing this down, because the last thing I want to do is try to predict anything more than I already have in my head. So how it goes, I guess we'll find out. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm not going to hit the pause button. i got other shit to talk about. But <clears throat> the cat scenario is a tough one. I don't know when you're supposed to put an animal down. But if you see an animal in constant pain, I think that's a signal that you have to consider the pain is more than it's worth. And she's in constant pain, no doubt. You can see it from the way she now jumps up and down. She's much more deliberate and uh, and, uh, uh, considerate of what she can handle. Whenever her uh, scarring, scabby, wounded side is disrupted by an unintended collision, she winces. And she does everything she can to avoid any such contact whatsoever. So obviously she's in pain. But she doesn't act any different except not catching as many mice. Though she caught two today. Yay. Boo. Right? Two? Fuck. Um, At any rate. And yet yesterday, she bled all over my bed. And I just, I left her in my room while I went to, to take a shower. I thought... I can trust her while I'm in the shower. I can trust her while I'm in the shower. I can trust her while I'm in the shower. And I got out. My bed was fucking... Oh, God. Oh, God. Why, why, universe? Really, why? Why? did I, I didn't need that lesson. I was trying to... She was so content. Anyway. So... Uh, I'm, right now, she's on the massage chair. The one place, full circle. If she would just remain there forever. She could have it. I'd turn it over to her. And she was, that's her number one nesting spot in the entire house. But for some reason, a couple of months ago, she moved off of there and I haven't seen her back since. And today she's curled up right there. So maybe our journey has come full circle and she can start catching mice and sleeping in the massage chair again. But at some point, I don't know how much blood I'm supposed to put up with. It's, uh, yeah, what is that noise, kitty? Pause. Hey, my neighbor's got a new blower. All right. Blowers are blowy. That is one tool I just do not like. I have one. I use them at work, even. But I don't like them. I just find them to be typical of what men invent 
and mostly, I guess in this case, white guys. White guys seem like they're responsible for the blower. But being a white guy, I've got to say, probably and are bad. But on to bigger and better things. The cat is staring me down right now. She's actually giving me a hate. Oh, nope, she just shut her eyes. Maybe she's just sleepy. But I, I got her for the mouse control. The problem is I bought a living organism with feelings and intentions to be a mechanical device, a killer of mice, and wasn't fully realizing the symbiotic relationship that by necessity in having acquired her is going to occur. And so now I either have to get her medical care, which could run into the thousands of dollars, or I have to let her suffer in a position of constant pain, or I have to pray for a miracle that she recovers, or I have to murder her. Those are all not very good choices, really. And so the humane thing is to get her to a vet and take care of her wound at whatever level that necessitates. But if that means they are going to do a $1,000 procedure and then require $580 worth of aftercare, I do not want to spend $1,600 on my cat. I don't even have $1,600 to spend on my cat. I would have to save up. We would be saving for the cat surgery. But maybe that's what I have to do if I'm going to be a good person. Or, since she's on the massage chair, I mean, we can always go for that miracle healing thing. It's worked twice before. Could work again. Or, I put her down. 95% of America, and I realize I've used 95% in this podcast, in this recording, numerous times. So, I apologize for the 95s. But, it's probably 95.3%, if we're being honest of adults who owned this cat would have already put her down. So being among the 4.7% of the morons willing to keep her alive and in their house, well, perhaps I do owe her more than I've given her. She's giving herself a bath right now. That's a good sign. Maybe she's going to have that miracle healing recovery. Maybe the massage chair is a miracle chair. All right, I'm kidding. I don't think anything of the kind. But if ever the cliche, cats have nine lives, has a cat on which to hang that cliche, it's this one. All right. Remember when I said uh, in this recording, you can expect me to talk about my dog, my pets? Well, when the dog died, obviously I put a lot of the conversational transference onto the cat in a way that has honestly expanded our relationship, which is funny. I never thought I would feel affection toward this cat. I haven't had affectionate feelings for her until a couple years ago, maybe. When she recovered from the wound initially, I started liking her. When she recovered from it the second time, I was all in. And now that she's going through a third round with it, I feel... I don't know, maybe I've underperformed my duties as her one chance to see a veterinarian in this life of hers. But then again, I I mean, it took a long time to come up with the name Frankie because I called her Mousetrap for months. I actually called her Mousetrap 2 because I had a Mousetrap 1. So she was Mousetrap 2. Right, too? Yeah. Aldos. All right. Um, how, do I, how do I not talk about what's going on with my country's asinine worldwide presence right now without describing the asinine worldwide presence? Well, here's how we're going to do it. It's a value to me to find the evidence that is available that is the conversational account 
of the people truly involved in what's happening. I want to see and hear from those participating to know what's going on. Because once I've heard that, I know the truth. And what I get in any other form, whether it's from a coworker saying something or hearing somebody on the bus say something or being in line at the supermarket and hearing something or for God's sake, the media telling me something. Well, those are all interpretations. While I listen, I don't feel I'm informed until I have an opportunity to speak with major players and not speak with them, but hear them relay what's going on. I don't need to have the conversation I need them to tell me their story. And we have a very hard time in America getting that. I don't know what the rest of the world is like. But most of the resources to tell us what's happening in the world outside of our country are, number one, very minuscule, and two, bent to tell you a certain story that keeps America in a very light and uh, prestigious position. So when we've been the villain, as many would, even in this country, but worldwide, see the scenario as certainly villainous in our um, support, if not directly villainous in our participation, uh, it's it's hard to know how we got here. So when I try to break this down. I don't have easy answers, but I am starting to have answers. And one of the ways that this occurred was to allow an entire generation and their generation, in other words, not just me, but my kids, my kids, to grow up in a world of entitlement and um, can do no wrong. I don't know how else to put that. There is a sense of, my generation was one about entitlement and uh, abundance. Well, no, not abundance, but opportunities were everywhere. There was, hmm, I hate to say hope, but there was, um, there was, you wouldn't want to, um, to miss out on what was coming next because it was about to be the best it's ever been. And while maybe in 50 more years it'd be even better because it seems like the world's only going to keep getting better, it was the next 30 years that were just going to be like the ticker tape parade, the best part, the the celebration of the victories of Humanity. We were going to be ascending to the position of veneration from the Galactic Council of Authority or whatever, okay? And. Uh, oh, hang on, pause. Okay. Um, and while there were certain things to figure out, like how to tear down this wall or. Um, get the Saudi women driver's licenses or, um, you know, there, there were uh, issues that we were allowed to think other countries were far enough behind that they were going to have to figure out. And regions of the world where oppression, like, uh, where would I say, um, uh, Free Tibet, those bumper stickers ran rampant through the 90s. Um, it was, it was... It was bumper sticker uh, um, culture. And it was, frankly, bumper sticker confidence. You were never truly challenged to see a world filled with nuance and, um, and difficulty because your world was filled with positive messaging and simplicity. And you just thought that this is what the end game of having gone through the nuanced challenge of difficulty and um, and oops, sorry, text messages came through. Pause. Okay, unpause. Frankly, it's been a few because that text message got me pretty distracted. So I think I'm going to go get some exercise. I'll listen to what I've recorded here. If I need to add something, 
I suppose I will. If not, well, here's to always enjoying the last of the daylight, right? Actually, no, not right. No, you don't get to abandon a conversation about how it is that America has turned itself upside down <clears throat> and lost its center <clears throat> when it comes to its priorities in terms of humanity and the world we inhabit alongside all of the other humans struggling to attain some level of dignity and purpose in a world filled with chaos and disorder. <clears throat> so, if you're in a pampered society with controlled messaging, well, you just become whatever that society needs you to be, whether that be the good doctor or the productive plumber or the dutiful housewife or the champion of a feminist wave of modernism that changes fundamentally how we think about each other's roles. It's it's a part of reality as it's presented that you can't believe you're not in control until you realize you're being controlled. And this this really does get into feeling some level of paranoia that's not healthy. The rabbit hole of conspiracy theories is there to disarm <clears throat> those who find legitimate gripe in the um, mishandling of circumstances today. Um, I'm not saying you can find nothing of value while considering the wrongs of the past and who might still be accountable to them. But my best work has always been done thinking of how to proceed from here, not how to look back and assign accountability. Though it should be done, I agree, it should be done. But regardless, I'm now in a position where <clears throat> that coddled upbringing, that you are exceptional, that the opportunity of this world is literally however you want to define it. Pause. Okay, no burp coming. Thought there was one coming. Um, having essentially ridden the entire loop in and out of my own delusion as an American citizen of self-assigned value, it's it's fortunate that I didn't bite enough of the capitalism fruit to really bear enough return to get locked in. <clears throat> and I say this because the one major mechanism of capture in America is the material good. And I guess I kind of always knew this because of the lack of attachment I've ever had to anything of of <clears throat> of 3D reality. Um, and it's America's trick to make you think that you have to have certain access to things to be happy. And <clears throat> there is a level of I like my bicycle and would hate to see it go. It does make me happy. But knowing that I like biking, knowing that I find biking to be an invigorating part of my lifestyle, I am prepared at any point for all my bikes to disappear. I have a plan as to what I would proceed with immediately the next day to bring another one into my life. I just There are certain things that I know I like to do or no matter to me, so I now know how I will always make them important enough to be of the value they represent in my life, <clears throat> including access to like my parents. Having both your parents over the age of 80, which is something I'm sure is pretty common these days, as old as people are living. Well, <clears throat> what it also means is that at any point, I can be with a parent who's now alone. And 
This isn't a morose thought or anything of the kind. They have had truly fulfilling lives. And rather than going to play tennis this evening, I rode all the way to their house to say hi and ended up having dinner with them. <clears throat> and it, it made me reflect that there is value in noticing that you have <laughs> come to terms with each other's presence completely. There is a level of just stress that they both have decided is the easiest countenance to maintain so that they can never be in a position of really fucking pissed. I've never seen anything like it. They would rather be mildly irritated all the time than be even remotely truthful, honest, and work through some fucking crap to get to a point where they might actually be happy. It's just the return of exchange of fire is such a volatile proposition, which of course is absurd. It's all created in their own heads. But regardless, that taint of a life of residue of constantly never being anywhere but next to each other for the last 60 plus years. <sighs> Holy fuck. It, it takes its toll. I guess uh, mild irritation. That's probably what they call the 60th anniversary. Hey, it's the mild irritation anniversary. Well, <clears throat> I didn't walk out in the middle of a bite, but I, I mean, I got to say, I thought about it. I thought about it. They just are so easily manipulated by the other. They know how to push each other's buttons so perfectly. I don't I don't know that I don't know that marriages shouldn't have a fucking 30 year term limit or 40 at the most. If you happen to live to be 105 each and you got married when you were 22, do you want 83 years with one fucking person? I mean just the conversation drought. Oh. I'd rather be alone, obviously, so I've avoided that trap, but I still know I'm a coddled motherfucker. Hell, I'm having dinner at my parents' house when I'm 54, so yeah, I'd say that's a little coddled, but it's also important to me that I do have these last years of casual um, interactivity as positive as possible. I figure it'll fall more on me than my sister to <clears throat> fill in for whoever's left last um, in whatever capacity they'll need the most help. But that level of obligation has glued me to this circumstance and is something that I never feel... Um, I never feel it as obligation. I'm more um, happy that I have the opportunity to help them see there is a path toward being alone that won't be lonely. Because I don't know what it would be like to lose somebody you've spent 60 years next to. I have a hard time losing my dog after 12 years. So... The real pain of separation might be another source of that mild irritation. If I knew that either I was about to leave or was about to be left, as either outcome, there's some existential angst there. There's got to be. Not that I would be able to hold on to it, but for these two, I know there is. And so they're bickering and backbiting ways, well, I guess that's what Bluetooth is in vogue for. We all have the ability to go double tap our ears and say, I'm sorry, what? And uh, using that might be the key to happy family relationships going forward. So way to go, Bluetooth. No, I didn't do much of that tonight. <clears throat> no, because frankly, 60 Minutes was fucking on. So... Yay. Can we 
do some CIA indoctrination. Is that available? Oh, it is. Oh, fuck yeah. No, I don't want to watch the Bills and the Bengals. No, no, no. Put on that Eastman segment, please. And then let's watch those monkeys. And then at the end, we'll tag on some token notification to the country about what's happening in the Middle East. Are you fucking kidding me? Fuck, 60 minutes. I'm sure that's perked your ears up, CIA. But if you're being honest, that is one of your worst media outlets at this point. You're much better off with the indoctrination that comes in your CNN crossfire segments. 60 minutes has gotten irrelevant. And that's too bad. This country needs more than ever fundamental journalistic integrity of the investigative kind. But who, who's going to publish you? Who wants to substack that? And frankly, who's ready to take up that fucking mantle? That'd be like, oh, you know what I'm here to do? Fix American public education. <laughs> what? Good luck, bro. Yeah, I'm here to rekindle the fire that was investigative journalism. Huh. You know, you should talk to my friend that's trying to fix education. You guys would get along. I, uh, I hate to sound so cynical. That's not good. There is absolutely nothing to do but make things better. So my cynicism has no place. It's just, <clears throat> as they say, some things only change because those who cling to them die. And I hate to think of a generation like my parents' generation having gotten so far removed from today's reality that they are literally anachronistic in real time. But there is an element to that that is unavoidable. Culture and society is rapidly evolving, and some of us are not going to just keep up through our 70s and 80s. So forgive them, I must. Having to explain to my mom how to cut and paste a web page onto a Word document was just something I thought an office manager from the 90s would know, but nope. So every petty interaction is valuable. And I remind myself of this all the time. In fact, the entire exchange tonight was a lot of fun because I'm not going to let my parents just wallow in their I'm too old to care frames of mind. Tonight I had separate conversations going with both of them, but both were engaging. And frankly, the thing about my dad is he's interesting on a niche level. You have to kind of be into nerds to really engage my dad because he wants to talk micro uh, variables and big picture stuff's just boring because my mom just gets caught up in big picture fucking headlines. So there's never any depth with her. There's just whip. But with him, he's re-upping his architectural license at 84 because he refuses not to be able to go on to a job if he actually wanted to. But to do so, he has to be licensed. So every 10 years, he's had to take this 20-hour prep course, which he's just now finishing so that he can re-up by the end of the year. And in talking to him what the issues are that he's encountering on this test compared to the issues 40 years ago, it's fascinating. It's truly fascinating. But to my mom, it's like, oh, yeah, why don't you talk about exterior cladding and the fucking conditions with the sun again? That's interesting. Which I get. Yeah. Yeah, if that's kind of all you've had at the dinner table for 40 years, for fuck's sake, why don't we put the bills and the bangles on? Or even 60 minutes. But for 15 minutes tonight, while I was genuinely interested in what he was learning about, uh, about extraction methods to remove toxic chemicals in the development process that have only been discovered through long-term studies of, of both uh, exposure and and environmental conditions to um, to create a condition in a material that does become toxic. I mean, really fascinating stuff that science would be all over as just corporate liability issues and things. You know, I mean, ugh, the stuff that if we were dedicating that energy to astronomy or Earth, ocean biology or 
whatever. I don't know. Just, I hate to think that our brightest minds are trying to decide what chloroforbin, farbin, <laughs> yeah, there we go. I can't speak their language, so I won't try. But <clears throat> it doesn't mean I'm not interested in people who are interested in interesting things. And tonight, that's the conversation I had with my dad. He's a fascinating fellow, but he doesn't need to just talk to hear himself speak. And when you're a nine-year-old, those are different challenges than they are today. But today, it's mostly about listening to somebody who's got something interesting to say, if you'll let him explain why this is interesting. And for 15 minutes tonight, damn it. Well, I'm not saying I want to take the architectural test, but I can see why they actually have to be certified. There's stuff to know of value in any industry, including that of the nuclear family. So as I think about a coddled American white middle-class male upbringing and the residue it's left on me, well, it hasn't left me any less capable of loving my nuclear family. So for that, I guess, I call it a draw. But the rest of this nonsense I've had to unwind, well, you tell me what you do when you find out that the stories you're being sold are exactly the opposite of what's truly happening. I hate how quickly we're watching a civilization of never again turn into well, I guess it's our turn. If this reaction isn't the sort of tyranny against which I thought the phrase never again was posturing to salute, I don't, I don't know where my humanity goes. Because that's where it is, right there. Thinking, what the fuck are we supporting? What the fuck are we even allowing to happen without stepping in. You're told in this country that in some moral cast of hierarchy, we are the champions of justice. And yet this isn't something we're in any way speaking against, let alone going in and solving for the, civ the civilian population who does not deserve to die. Collateral damage is a very specific concept. Gratuitous collateral damage is illegal. If anyone can explain to me that we're seeing the former and not the latter, please show me how. And the only voice I don't want to hear is the one coming from the military planning inside Israel. I get that they are deluded. What I don't understand is why we aren't stopping them. 